Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you a continuation of my Faces of Fascism series, a series that highlights the prominent figures of the right wing internationally. Today, I'm talking about probably one of the most complex figures and maybe one of the most enduring right wing figures still alive on the right wing sphere in the United States today. This is Roger Stone. Now, just as a primer, if there is something shitty that the Republican Party has done in the last 60 years, Roger Stone probably has his fingers in it. This includes the fact that, like, this kind of, like, terrible party quasi-illegal electoral activity is called by the GOP since Watergate, which is where Roger Stone started his career. It's called rat-fucking. Uh, Roger Stone is one of the leading rat fuckers of the GOP and has been for an extremely long time. Stone was born in 1952 in Connecticut. He's called his family blue-collar Catholics, but that's essentially his word. He says also openly that he schemed and wheeled and dealed his way into class president in his high school. Specifically, he said that he built a coalition consisting of all the other popular candidates to put them in his cabinet for the school presidency and also manipulated the situation such that the least popular and, in his words, ugliest kid was running against him. This is a paradigmatic example of the kind of politicking that Roger Stone participates in. He volunteered for Barry Goldwater in 1964. Again, he was 12 at the time. This guy was a very early adopter of right-wing politics and especially of right-wing political organizing. In 1972, he was a student at George Washington University, and there he met Magruder, a Nixon illegal politics operative kind of guy. Stone had invited Magruder to speak on campus in his capacity as the leader of the Young Republicans of George Washington University. Magruder spoke on campus and afterwards... Roger Stone asked him for a job. Specifically, he wanted a job with the Committee to Re-Elect the President, a.k.a. the White House Plumbers, the organization within the Nixon White House that engaged in illegal and quasi-illegal political activity. Magruder said that he got the job, and so Stone dropped out of GW to take it. He worked for the Nixon campaign in 1972 doing illegal shit. For example, he would send donations to potential Nixon rivals in the name of socialist organizations. And then he would slip that information, his fake donation, to local newspapers. He also ran a series of spy networks on possible Democratic rivals to Richard Nixon. He was too junior in the White House Plumbers organization to really take the fall for Watergate itself. However, that is where he cut his teeth, right? That is the school of political organizing that Roger Stone comes from. After Richard Nixon's resignation, he did some more GOP building work and eventually worked for Ronald Reagan's campaign in 1976 against then-President Gerald Ford. So this was Reagan's attempted primary challenge to Gerald Ford. By 1977, when Jimmy Carter was president having beaten Gerald Ford at age 24, Roger Stone was the president of the Young Republicans organization nationally. He continued to rise and continued to work in the GOP as a sort of like political strategist and consultant until in 1980, he created a GOP consulting firm along with some other like 
party apparatchik type guys. They used their contacts from the Reagan 1980 campaign, which he of course participated in again, this time successfully, to do work all over the world, not just in the United States. They were a right-wing, sort of quasi-illegal political consulting firm that consulted for political leaders throughout the United States and, like I said, internationally. In the 1980s, of course, this also included several dictators in South America and elsewhere. They also provided political consulting work for Donald Trump, specifically advising him about hotel law and attempts to expand legalized gambling in the United States. He was also a consultant for News Corp for, you know, uh, Richard Murdoch and Fox News. Also, supposedly, he consulted with the George H.W. Bush campaign in the creation of the infamous Willie Horton ads in the Bush Dukakis race in 1988. For those of you unfamiliar with this, these are an infamous series of ads that saw H.W. Bush blaming then-Governor Dukakis, governor of Massachusetts, for the murder of people in Massachusetts because a person who was removed from the Massachusetts penal system because he had, you know, served his time, he he went on to to murder some people. And so this is this is a an infamous ad about criminal justice in the United States being a quote-unquote revolving door. By the 1990s, Roger Stone was a freewheeling GOP consultant. He worked for essentially every major GOP candidate and political organizer and activist at this time. He worked in the mid-90s for the Bob Dole campaign, and then in 2000 continued to work with Donald Trump for Donald Trump's attempted run under the Reform Party. The Reform Party, recall, was founded in the mid-1990s by Ross Perot to back his second attempt at presidency in 1996 after his extremely good showing in 1992. Roger Stone continued to work for the GOP as a political consultant, especially and particularly in the year 2000, he helped prevent a real recount in Florida by staging essentially fake protests against this recount. These protests were mostly populated by people who were Republican staffers. This has led these protests to be called the so-called Brooks Brothers protests because of the clothes that the so-called protesters were wearing. Throughout the 2000s, he was preparing the ground for the upswell of extreme right-wing politics that we see today. Specifically, he spent a lot of the 2000s forming anti-Hillary Clinton campaign organizations, and he also worked with WikiLeaks in 2016 in order to get emails sent by Hillary Clinton in order to try to start the, you know, but her emails type denunciation of Hillary Clinton. He was eventually charged and convicted for this crime, for, for getting this information illegally. He was eventually pardoned by President Trump. And speaking of President Trump, Roger Stone's probably the biggest culmination of his career is that he became a Trump advisor in 2015 for the start of Donald Trump's attempt to seize the Republican nomination. However, he and Trump fell out very quickly and very publicly. It was an extremely big explosion of their two extremely big egos. However, Stone was still a major supporter of Donald Trump. Like, he got on TV the next day and issued a bunch of statements very soon after, saying, like, yeah, I've been fired or I've quit. You know, they, they, they both disagree about that narrative. But I still support Trump for the nomination. Trump, of course, still praised him and said that he's a good guy and that he's a good, you know, friend and a good Republican operative. 
After his official ouster from the Trump campaign, Stone became an informal advisor and media stand-in. He also did a bunch of work for Trump sort of off the books. And the extent to which he remained connected to the Trump campaign and to the Trump political apparatus leads me to be a little suspicious here. I would not be at all surprised if we found out in a couple years or maybe in a decade or two that this supposed falling out between Trump and Stone was in fact orchestrated by Stone in order to enable him to be able to do some dirty work for Trump at a little bit of a distance, right? So that he and Trump could claim that they were not actually working together. This would be especially obvious and, and especially makes sense based on some of Trump's and Stone's later interactions when it comes to the 2020s, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. For specifically during the campaign cycle in which Donald Trump sees the Republican nomination, Roger Stone engaged in a lot of political work on behalf of Trump. For example, he planted a rumor, intentionally he planted a rumor that Ted Cruz was having an affair. This was during the Republican nomination in 2016 when Ted Cruz was, at that point, Donald Trump's main rival for the GOP nomination. He also set the stage for potential outrage if Donald Trump lost or was prevented from getting the nomination. He started an organization called Stop the Steal in 2016, assuming that Trump was going to lose, right? As most people thought at the time. However, Trump won. And so he kept that rhetoric and kept that organization in his back pocket, preparing for 2020. During Trump's actual administration from 2016 until 2020, Stone became an important outside advisor primarily acting as a liaison between the Trump White House and the extreme right wing. He was also an important consultant as a knowledgeable leader in criminal electoral activity, which is, you know, the, the, the career that he's built for himself over the last several decades. Stone's particular utility to Donald Trump and the, the reason that he's an extremely important figure in the history of the right wing, especially in the United States and especially right now, is this liaison, is this work that he did connecting the Trump administration to the extreme right wing. We know now, because of investigations from the United States House of Representatives and from the FBI and from other sources, that Roger Stone was the primary go-between between the Republican establishment and the extreme right wing, and especially fascist organizations like the Proud Boys. His collaborations with the Proud Boys started in the 2010s, when he got them to be quote-unquote security at GOP events, especially in Oregon, where the Proud Boys are especially powerful. He then apparently started to like just hang out with them. There's video and audio of him just getting beers with people in the Proud Boys. He has been praised and has himself praised um, the leaders of the Proud Boys, including Gavin McGinnis. He also apparently has a, a an actual friendship with Enrique Terrio, the leader of the Proud Boys, now you know, indicted and convicted of seditious conspiracy in his attempt to prevent Joe Biden from being inaugurated as president of the United States. In investigations about the attempted coup on January 6th, it's become clear that Roger Stone was on that day especially a go-between for Trump and the Proud Boys and others who were entering the Capitol. We know from phone records and from some of his other behavior that this is, what he, this is what his job was. He met with them, he talked with them, and talked with the actual White House and was a person who went into both worlds, right? This is one of the reasons that it would make sense for Donald Trump to want him to be sort of 
at arm's length, right? That he could claim, oh, you know, no, that Roger Stone is not working for me, right? He doesn't work for the White House. He's not an official member of the Trump campaign apparatus. Instead, he's this sort of like outside advisory type person, somebody that he could, you know, say was working on his own or something or say that he didn't know about it, right? Of course, th that's ridiculous. Like, I, I don't believe it for a second. Uh, it, it seems pretty clear to me that this was his specific job, was to be the go-between. On January 6th itself, Roger Stone was in Washington, D.C. and gave a vitriolic speech to attendees of the so-called Freedom Rally, you know, the rally that Donald Trump and his supporters held on January 16th in, in an attempt to galvanize people into storming the Capitol in order to prevent Joe Biden from being inaugurated. For his participation in the coup, Roger Stone has been subpoenaed. He was subpoenaed by the House Investigation Committee, the committee investigating the January 6th events. He, unlike many of the other people involved in the planning of this coup, he did appear in front of the investigative committee, but he pled the fifth for almost an hour and answered no questions. That's because, you know, he is no stranger to this kind of activity. Again, remember, he has already been tried and convicted for a lot of political crimes. Now, Stone is elderly. He is a quite elderly person. This means that his actual career in right-wing politics could be coming to a close very soon, but it's an extremely colorful one, and I don't just mean in terms of his aesthetics, although he is a famously flamboyant person. He dresses very ostentatiously, you know, he has expensive scars, he, like, drinks martinis like James Bond, he has expensive cars, he wears sort of, like, classically cool clothes, like, like in a sort of, you know, Frank Sinatra type way. He is also famous for his Richard Nixon fandom. Apparently his homes are full of Nixon memorabilia and Nixon-styled art. He also has a picture of Richard Nixon tattooed on his back, an homage to the start of his political career and the kind of, you know, no-holds-barred politics that Stone believes in. No matter what, no matter when his political career ends, it would be impossible to ignore the the, the strange influence of Roger Stone on U.S. politics, and especially his, his particularly interesting through line from Watergate up until the attempted coup by Donald Trump on January 6th. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next time. <laughs>